It's goosebump time in Oxford, Mississippi. This podcast rebellion. We're back at it again here in the second line studio. I'm your host Zach Barry. Joining me, I, I'll say as always, but it's been a minute since we've all been here. Benjamin Woodhouse, Nicholas Carr, gentlemen, welcome in on this Wednesday evening. It's good to be here. Uh, what up? Hope we don't get uh, blown away in a storm coming in soon. I uh, well, guys, I'll tell you. I think. Well, I can't speak for for y'all since we're not in the same location. I think everything here is going to be fine until about 11 o'clock Sunday because my tea time's at 11.10. So I'm sure everything will go to shit at that point. Um, But everything's good here right now. Um, But let's go ahead and bring in our guest. Uh, We are pleased to welcome in Colin uh, Holbert. He is a contributing writer for Roto Baller. He does all kinds of super in-depth analytical, statistical, all kinds of uh, crazy in-depth research for uh, college football, football, all kinds of, um, I guess, pro college, whatever you call it. But uh, Colin, welcome into the show, man. Appreciate you joining. Thanks for having me, guys. I, I really... Uh, you know, stumbled and and fell and knocked my two front teeth out on that introduction. But I guess just tell everybody at home what it is you do actually do, because I know uh, as we were talking before we started, uh, it's pretty it's pretty serious uh, numbers wise. And I know that uh, you, uh, you you seem to take pride in as we talked about finding uh, finding themes, finding different uh, trends when uh, studying the game of football. But I guess tell us what you do. All right. So, you know, I, I do a lot of uh, do a lot of deep diving into both NFL and college football, um, not just, you know, statistical stuff, but a lot of game film and stuff like that, um, because really, I mean, stats only tell part of the story. You have to see a lot of what's going on and how it transpires before you can really make a, you know, a fair call on things. But um, yeah, aside from the. Uh, you know, the deep dives and all the analytics, um, like to do a lot of creative writing with football and, you know, uh, just try to write some entertaining articles for fantasy and stuff like that. So, you know, whatever sort of intrigues me, I kind of dive into. So before we get into, I guess the actual meat of what it is you do as we're going to talk a lot about Ole Miss. We're going to talk about a lot about Lane Kiffin and this 2020 season. I do want to rewind a bit and let's talk about you're an Ole Miss grad. You went to Ole Miss. Um, tell us, tell us what the university of Mississippi was like uh, back in your heyday as it is, it is quite different these days as I, uh, I went a couple weeks ago and Oxford is just, you, you don't even recognize it if you go back now. Yeah, I so I, I went back for a game last year and I, I took my wife and she had never been. She's a Texas grad, so you know, big into her Longhorns. But um, you know, I told her, "Hey, I got to take you to an Ole Miss game sometime because you know y'all don't really know much about the Grove and you know how we tailgate and stuff like that." And I took her, and it was you know it was still pretty amazing, but yeah, very things were a lot different than last time. Like, I mean, so many things have been renovated. Um, 
God, just so many new buildings. The union is not even recognizable anymore. I used to take naps on the bench in the union, like right when you walk in from um, like the, uh, <clears throat> the building side close to the classes. And like now it's just everything's high tech. Is the Chick-fil-A still there? Did I not notice that last time or is it gone? Yeah, Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A should still be there. That place was just burns through money. <laughs> oh, yeah. When did when did you finish no, at Ole Miss? What's that? When did you finish at Ole Miss? Uh, 2007. Okay, so you finished prior to the world's most profitable subway going into the year. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually – that's actually not uh, a lie. I, I'm pretty well, allegedly, for I guess around 2011, 2012, that subway made more money than any subway in the world. <laughs> and, and I don't know how it couldn't have because from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., there were two lines that were 20 people deep until they closed. Anyway, I, go ahead. sorry, side note. I believe it. My roommate and I used to go to Subway for two for Tuesday when we were in college, and you know, we'd get the uh, you know two of the sweet onion chicken teriyakis for six bucks, and the line was always ten to fifteen people. And I guess someone got the bright idea: hey, let's bring in the union. Isn't it amazing the amount of trash that you'll eat when you're young? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't care what goes in. You just because Chubway is disgusting. It is terrible. <laughs> But I, I, I too ate it all the time in college where you just, I don't care, metabolism. Oh, yeah. That was those were the good days. I remember just waking up in the middle of the night and drinking pineapple juice, just not realizing until like five years later, like, hey, I probably shouldn't drink pure sugar in the middle of the night, but. Yeah. So, so what was, so, so the big three when you were on campus, so. Baseball, basketball, football. So what was that like? What was the experience like? I We had a bit of overlap, so I kind of have an idea, but what, what was it like um, for those three sports in Oxford when you were there? Uh, baseball was huge. Um, that's when games were really pretty rowdy, but I know I, like years later I'd, I'd look on TV and see them chucking beers and throwing them up in the air after home runs and I'm not sure it was quite like that yet, but um, I had Eli Manning in a class my freshman year. He okay. would, and it was just tell us, you know, tell us more. It was an easy A. I, I shot him in paintball. It's 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 a long story. <laughs> so we we had um let's see we had uh, Air Force ROTC introduction. Mm. Just, you know, an easy, pretty easy A, and uh, he was in there with a couple other football players and. Uh, we had, you know, he, he didn't really talk much. Um, Who knew Eli was so interested in ROTC? <laughs> yeah, I, I took it as a joke because I, I'd gone to a military school for most of high school. So, you know, they're like, first test is, you know, the rank system. And I was like, all right, cool. I got this. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, we had one of those days where they uh, the ROTC department has, you know, couple of choppers come out and they take people up on the helicopter and then they um have like a little paintball game and we had a paintball game and i, ca I cannot confirm because 
we, <laughs> you know, everyone was wearing a mask, but I'm fairly certain I shot him. And, uh, yeah, unless there was some other six, five guy in our class that I didn't recognize. Um, wow. So, so you heard it here on podcast rebellion <laughs> that Eli Manning wears a mask. <laughs> he, so I don't know what that says about his politics as everyone wants to know these days, but, um, yeah, so you were there. Uh, so Nick and, and Ben and myself are, um, we're all three big time baseball guys. And, uh, anytime we're all three in Oxford at the same time, it's usually for a baseball game and we're always in left field. And, um, I guess the last time we were all together was that LSU series when, uh, Dillard hit a ball just about as far as Ronald Acuna hit one tonight. But, um, so you were there in the heyday with, uh, like the, the Oh five Oh six back-to-back supers. Um, does your, well, I guess, does your wife ever heckle you about that Oh five super when Texas came to Oxford? Yeah, that was, that was terrible. Um, she still talks about that year. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I was like, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty frustrating getting a super super regional every year, hosting one, winning the first game, and then losing the next two. It's pretty bad. Um, yeah, I, I I know where I stand on this, Ben. Nick, you chime in. I I think that that was probably two of the worst possible draws that somebody could get when you're hosting back to back supers because you had Texas, who was just a perennial power, always gone to Omaha. And, you know, Augie Garrido is one of the greatest coaches of all time at any level. And then the next year you have a Miami team that's just absolutely loaded with MLB players and tons of talent. So it was just back-to-back years of just brutal, brutal luck in terms of the the bracket. If I remember correctly, Miami beat the national seed or the top eight seed that year to come to Oxford. I don't think we got a top eight seed. Um, and, and, and really in 05, which I, I thought was the better team, um, that, that team kind of got screwed on the, on the number five overall. See, now the, the record didn't reflect how good that team was, but not only do you get the number five overall seed instead of a top four, you also have to match up with Texas and there's always been rumors that, you know, some Ole Miss people will say, well, a certain esteemed um, uh, member of our rival institution, you know, played a part in that as like a conspiracy theory. And then so, and then others will say that Augie Garrido had actually upset somebody at the NCAA or something and in college baseball and the committee – to as an almost punishment <laughs> was going to send him to Ole Miss because they, they were like, well, when Texas goes to Oxford, we'll go in and they're going to, you know, they can't win there, especially in Oxford. So mm-hmm. I do remember this though. And then, and then we can move on that, that one series against Texas, it, it kind of exposed how Ole Miss was still playing late nineties, LSU gorilla ball, That's hitting on run and did not have outfielders that could run down fly balls. And LSU, mm-hmm. and, and Texas didn't let a ball drop. Yeah. I, I think who was, what was who was the center fielder? The center Drew Stubbs. Yeah. Yep, that's yeah. him. So, I mean, 
they had and I, Houston Street was him, and he might have already been gone. Yeah, Either he way, was on that mm-hmm, team. Mm-hmm. No, no, he it was, was Jay Cox was the closer. Jay Jay Brent Cox was the name, but Taylor T. Garden. He was he the catcher? Yeah, yeah, um, he was the catcher. So long story short, I, I think Ole Miss started recruiting a little more speed after the year because they exposed us. I, I don't feel like we got beat by a lesser team. And Ole Miss was really good. I thought we were the second best team in the country or best. But um, I thought that that series was for the national championship. So, real quick, I looked it up to double check. You were right. Nebraska was the was the one seed in. Um, I don't know. Let's see if they were a. They were the number six overall national seed. So Did Nebraska uh, had Alex Wood that year. Oh, uh, they had John that Chamberlain. That was the year they had the. So that wasn't the year they had the third baseman that was so good that went to the Royals. Alex Gordon. That. Alex Gordon. That's it. They had Alex, Alex Gordon. Alex, Alex Gordon and John yeah. Chamberlain that year. Okay, so they were the they were a top eight seed. They lost to Manhattan in the first game of the <laughs> regional. It had to come out of the losers bracket. Miami beat the brakes off San Francisco, and then beat Manhattan. And then um, Nebraska lost to San Francisco in the loser's bracket and was done. So Miami only had to beat Manhattan. So so Nebraska went 2-0. Oh, and 2 2 and out. 2 and Q. All right. Other than and, – and this is going to be a reach. I get it. Other than sending Miami to a questionable number one overall seed, Nebraska – they get San Francisco and Manhattan in yeah, a region. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when we host regionals, it's like Southern Miss, who's fifty-one and five, and yeah. and Rice, who's forty-seven and nine, and they've got or or you know or it'll be like Western Kentucky with a number one overall pit, pitcher that we faced in the first game. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. I'll go. I'll, get, I'll start ranting on yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, Colin, welcome to an Ole Miss baseball podcast. So, <laughs> so the year before that, this is how bonkers Nebraska was back then. Mike Anderson was the coach. So in '05, they had um, they had Alex Gordon. They had Jobber Chamberlain. They had a couple uh, good players on that team. They were 57 and 15 that year mm. and went to the College World Series, got fifth place. So they were regular season and tournament champs of the Big 12. Um, they were also the Crown Plaza slash Rice Invitational Champion. That's on their Wikipedia page. <laughs> um, so they had a couple good teams, a um, couple back to back teams, back to back good teams. So they went to the College World Series in 05, but then three straight years of just a regional. And then they really fell off. Then Mike Anderson was fired in 2011. All right. Anyways, back to what we were saying, Colin. Um, so, yeah, baseball was a big deal. You had a class with Eli Manning. So what was basketball like? Uh, we, I, I think just a year or two before we'd been in Sweet 16. Um, I think we were on the bubble every year I was there which I think is the same story for probably y'all too. I mean, every year we're on the yeah, level. Yeah, literally so every year. Mm-hmm. We had some, we had some, you know, decent upsets in the tad pad, but, you know, it wasn't anything, um, 
the women's team was really good. They made the elite eight while we were, while I was in school there. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the basketball games, they were fun to go to, but you know, we, we didn't really have that promising of a squad while I was there. I wasn't there for the Marshall Henderson era and all that. Have you been to the pavilion yet? Uh, no, I haven't been to the new one. No, I, I just, the old tad pad and that was it. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. So I, I guess. What's up? I was going to say, so you were there. So the elite Oh six Oh seven. So I guess that was when our minty price was on the team. Yeah. I think the, the uh, point guard was Cavadas nunnery who was like the okay. steals leader of the sec. And then we had, Oh, what was his name? Abernathy was a shooting guard. It was the, a pretty decent team. They just, yeah. you know, bubble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, the, the baseball with Texas, there's, there's more insult to injury with this. Um, so we, we go to Texas baseball games sometimes, which, you know, it's, it's hard enough, but <laughs> we went a few years ago and my wife's like, Hey, you know, wear this Texas stuff. And I'm like, all right, sure, honey, anything for you. <laughs> and we go there and Augie Garrido is sitting like three seats away from us. And my brother-in-law, I guess, knew him. And he's like, hey, Augie. And they start talking and then they're like, hey, let's all get a big picture. And I'm like, hey, that's cool. I'll just take the picture. You guys. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> I can't betray my alma mater like this. Like, I'm like, do you know what that guy did to us, Courtney? And she's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, the 05, the 05 season. Just look it up. And then she teased me about it ever since then. So, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do that. And then, yeah, I mean, she's going to make you go to a place to watch baseball where they play on an all turf field. Like, come on. That's just, <laughs> that's not baseball. It's not real baseball. Yeah, as if it isn't hot enough. They're like, you know what we need here? <laughs> yeah, we need more artificial turf. <laughs> um, all right, so we're going we're, we're gonna to take a quick break here. We're going to hear from the sponsors. Um, and then on the other side, we're going to get into it with Colin. We're going to talk football. We're going to talk 2020. We're going to talk Lane Kiffin. We're going to talk all that stuff uh, when we get back from, uh, from uh, the word from the sponsors on the other side. So hang tight, and uh, we'll do it. It's Zach again, Podcast Rebellion, to remind you of our lovely sponsors here at the show. If you like New Orleans-inspired cuisine, go see Kelly English and the good folks in Memphis at Second Line or Restaurant Iris for some fantastic food and cocktails. You can also travel down to the coast to Magnolia House in Biloxi at Harris Gulf Coast. Blackjack, craps, slots, southern cooking, cocktails, what's not to like? All three fantastic establishments Part of the Kelly English Restaurant Group. Good food, good people, good cocktails. It can't be beat. That's Second Line, Restaurant Hours in Memphis, and Magnolia House in Biloxi. Speaking of good food, if you're in Oxford, go see Greg and the good folks at LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast, on University Avenue, across from Kroger. Celebrate with the best protein for your almost grilling needs with Greg and the rest of the folks there. 
And be sure to tell them that Red Cup sent you for exclusive deals and promotions. Remember, the Philly combo is back for just $10 right now. And you've got your lunch specials 11 to 3.30, Monday through Friday. That's LB's Meat Market on University, across from Kroger. Arby's is full of shit. LB's has the meats. Speaking of Oxford, if you're looking to get some libations going, be sure to check out Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery. It's a quick little eight-minute drive south of Oxford on Old Taylor Road, and it's the only spot in the Magnolia State for a true grain-to-glass gin experience. The space is fantastic. Chan and the rest of the guys there are doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, go there, get a tour, do a tasting, or you could do both. Inquire about maybe renting it out for a private event, maybe a anniversary, a wedding reception, a rehearsal dinner, something the place is amazing. That's Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery in Taylor, Mississippi. And be sure to follow them on Instagram for all their latest updates and uh, comings and goings there at Wonderbird. Speaking of libations, if you're in Memphis and you're looking to stock the cooler this year, Old Dominic on South Front Street is your place to go. Just like Wonderbird, you can go there for a tasting, for a tour, or both. And be sure to check out the rooftop bar, which is super awesome. has some great views of downtown Memphis, of the Mississippi River. Uh, You can try their Healing Station High Rye Bourbon, the Memphis Toddy, the Memphis Vodka, or the new Honey Bell Vodka. You can get it all there or at your local package store. So celebrate with that Healing Station bourbon, a very small batch high rye bourbon by the folks at Old Dominic. It's a bold classic whiskey with notes of stone fruit, dark cherry, just the right amount of spice and heritage that dates back to 1866. You can enjoy it neat or even in your favorite cocktail like an old-fashioned. It's got a mash bill of 52% corn, 44% rye, and 4% malt. Healing Station stands alone in its category of high-rye bourbons. So you could do that, or you can enjoy a quick taste of Memphis Toddy before the game this weekend, and then you can wind down with that Healing Station afterwards. So, like we always say, Ask your, pa- ask, ask your package store where you can find Healing Station by Old Dominic. And, as always, OD encourages you to share SIP responsibly. And last but certainly not least, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, make it a Clark Ford vehicle. Corey Clark and the rest of the folks in Amory, Mississippi on Highway 25 are committed to finding you a new vehicle today. Be sure to browse their inventory online, request more information about the vehicles, set up a test drive, Inquire about financing all online. If you want to do it a little old school, maybe uh, conversate via telephone, you can give them a call at 662-257-1900 and get in a new Ford today. And we're back here on Podcast Rebellion with Colin Holbert of... Um, I guess it's Roto Baller. Is that Correct. it? I just had a complete brain fart. Um, <laughs> full disclosure, we're having technical difficulties on our end. We've got storms in Oxford, and uh, we've got some uh, some podcast equipment that's not wanting to uh, cooperate, but we are uh, making it work here. Shout out to the good folks at Skype. So, Colin, we had you on. We wanted to rack your brain about... Uh, this year's uh, football team in Oxford, and I know that you've uh, watched a lot of film and you're excited about Lane Kiffin. 
uh, as we are as well. But I guess just give us your first impressions of what he can do on offense with uh, the folks that are on the roster in Oxford. Well, he's going to give a lot of different looks on offense. He's not really, I mean, when he was with USC, he ran a lot of the pro style. But then over the years, he's implemented a lot more like spread concepts and stuff like that. Um, He's going to give you a good mix of stuff and he should be able to utilize, you know, the talent on the team. Um, And it's going to give defenses a lot of looks and force them to have to prepare. Like it's going to be a lot of film of a lot of different formations, a lot of pre-snap movement. Just, um, yeah, should be should be pretty exciting season, like offensively anyway. Is, is there anything to take from his time at Alabama with, with, with I mean, I, I, obviously I think that they kind of over overhauled their offense while he was there, but so much of what they did was predicated on how talented they were. I mean, are you taking a little, any from Alabama or is it going to be mostly what he did at FAU? I think mostly what he did at FAU. I mean, I think to some degree when he was at Alabama, he was sort of in timeout, so to speak. They were like, hey, we know you're a smart guy and, you know, you are a pretty proficient coach. Um, but, you know, this is our system. I think, you know, Saban kept him pretty close to him and uh, had him on kind of a leash while he was there. So I wouldn't take a whole lot from that. Um and I, I think it's it's more fair to be able to look at FAU and what he's able to do with his recruits there um, and those schemes and, you know, think that's what you should expect in 2020, at least more of stuff like that, like more of the pre-snap motion, more of shifting linebackers aside with the movement, um, freeing up the side of the field they want to move move the ball towards. Um, there's a lot of little things that he does in the details that gives him, I don't, I don't know, it doesn't really do him justice for actually how good of a, a coach he is. You know, most, most of what, when people think of Lane Kiffin, they just, you know, think of all the drama that, you know, the, the wake of his departures at places and stuff like that. But really the guy has grown so much as a coach. The fact that he's expanding his, you know, offensive scheme so much over the past few years is, it's really encouraging. And that's the kind of thing you should expect from young coaches. I think he's what, 42 or 43, you know, it's, it's what we should expect from a guy like him. And it's why we should be excited because, you know, you get stuck in an antiquated system. Um, you know, you're, you're going to be left in the dust. So the, a lot has been made about the quarterback competition in Oxford. That's probably the number one story that's been followed in this abbreviated fall camp. Uh, what, what, what have you seen, I guess, in last season's film from Matt Corral and, and John Rice Plumley? And I know that they're, you know, Jekyll and Hyde when it comes to skill sets and how they play the game, but What's your, I guess, assessment of, of both of them and which do you think will fit Kiffin and Jeff Levy's offense the best? Oh, well, it's really hard to tell which one's going to fit their offense the best because um, Levy likes you know to use kind of dynamic run schemes. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, from a defensive scheming standpoint, it's going to be very hard to prepare for John Reese Plumley. I mean, 
mean, it's the same reason why Alabama always struggles with dual threat quarterbacks. It's because there's so much that transpires throughout the course of a play that stuff that can break down that you can't prepare for. And I think as long as I, you know, I think using a rotation actually might be the best plan early on, you know, for the first few games, I think they're probably going to do something close to that over the first three or four games. And, you know, whoever kind of stands out, they might stick with, but, you know, we also might see both of them utilized throughout the season. You know, I think, you know, Corral's probably the more, I mean, obviously the more talented passer, but what Plumlee can do is not just a basic dual threat quarterback. I mean, he's, he's electric. I mean, the guy is, you know, don't look at too much of his like fourth quarter film when he was slowing down. I mean, for the majority of the game, he was so fast out there. Um, you know, it's, it, it just adds another dynamic. And if you can, if you can balance that well, and rotate them, you know, to a moderate degree of success, it's going to drive defenses insane, and it should open up a lot of big plays for us. Do, do you think that if, I mean, if if one of the guys, you said you mentioned kind of a platoon system, but if I said one, one of the guys is going to take the handle and is going to become the starter, if you had to guess right now, who might that be? It would be Coral. For, yeah. Pretty pretty sure he would be yeah, now. I, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, I I hate to say it. I mean, Plumlee is, is a great runner. I mean, he is dynamic with the ball, electric. I think you got to continue getting him the ball in some form or fashion. But at this level, I mean, you just, you've got to be able to throw the ball down the field to, to beat teams, to beat good teams. You've got to be able to throw the ball, not across the field, but vertically. And I think that Corral is really the only guy that can do that at the level that we're going to need. Yeah, and just to feed off that, what you were just saying, you know, having a vertical threat at quarterback, it's it's very challenging for the defenses because if you know a guy can take the top off the defense, you have to keep your defenders back, your defensive backs have to be aware of a lot more. Um, when you run a lot of plays close to the line, you know, you're, you're limiting the options um, that the defense has to take into account. So when you have a guy who can stretch the field vertically, you know, it, it's it's very challenging for defenders and defensive backs to be able to you know account for that. And I think there's going to be enough of the pre-stat movement, enough of screens and quick slants and little gadget plays that I, I think Coral would be the lead beneficiary of that. Because, you know, with what we saw last year um, from FAU, it just seems like Coral will be the more successful quarterback um, in the system that we currently understand or expect from Ole Miss's offense in 2020. So I think what everybody expects, and uh, once once Lane Kiffin was hired, I think everybody expected for Matt Corral to be the quarterback because John Rice Plumley won the job essentially because Rich Rodriguez ran some kind of a single wing veer with, with him. And it just made sense to put the guy that's basically has the same skill set as, as a, as a running back to go back there and just to run the offense that way and not really throw the ball that much because Plumlee can't really throw it that well. Uh, now with 
Kiffin there, Levy there, who they both, despite all the the accolades and the you know the schemes and, and all of the the fireworks that Kiffin has, you know, offensively um, done at all of his stops. For him and Levy are both pretty balanced in their play calling and how they like to operate as an offense. Do you anticipate them being that balanced, or do you think that they'll kind of lean on Matt Corral and being able to stretch the field, like you say? Um, because, look, it, it it lends you the opportunity to be balanced because you have two guys back there and Snoop Connor and Jerry Neely. So do you have any idea, or do you want to try to take a, take a stab at how you think the offense will look in 2020? Sure. Um I will speculate with a fair degree of certainty that this will be the most completely balanced offense <laughs> that we've seen in a long time at, at Ole Miss. I think there's going to be a wide array of different run packages. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a decent amount of RPOs. Uh, just because you know RPOs in their nature, they freeze the linebackers. It uh, it allows you to open up a little deeper, and you know freezes the blitz. And I expect to see a lot more of that this season because you know our offensive line. Yeah, how how sure are we about it? <laughs> and you know I I think a lot of the pre snap movements you're going to see plenty of that this season. Just moving linebackers, defensive ends, just shifting them ever so slightly so that you know, we can open up rush lanes or perhaps move guys out of screen lanes. And then I think, you know, we're going to see a fair amount of like, um, you know, shots down the field. I think they're going to just attack wherever they see weakness on each play. I think it's going to be more of a see and react type thing rather than, you know, let's run this these 15 pre-planned plays to start out the game. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be more of a read and react situation, but I expect to see a lot of balance and a lot of, a lot of looks like more so than probably most teams in the sec. So you're, I assume that you've got kind of a pretty decent handle on, you know, teams kind of across the country. I, I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong here. I, I think you're watching more than just Ole Miss. How good can Jerry Needley be? I, I feel like, I mean, I really feel like he's a Heisman type guy on the roster. I don't, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to go to New York, obviously. Almost not going to win enough for that, but I feel like he's that good nationally. He is really good. Um, just, you know, the, the tape, tape shows he's a very competent receiver, good runner. I mean, you know, the small, quick guys tend to excel in college in the right system. And I feel like he is going to be a big weapon this year. They're going to use him in a variety of ways. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if they see him, you know, split out wide on certain plays, um, whether it's screens or short slants or whatever. He's going to be, I'm not going to say like a Dexter McCluster 2.0 or anything, but I feel like, you know, with, you look at the, the weapons on this offense, He's got to be he's got to be number one right now. I mean, it's is there any real question about that as far as the other skill position players? 
I don't think so. I mean, there's there's a lot of talent in the receiver room, but it's unproven. Uh, yeah. There was some you know some glimpses, some some guys made uh, sh- showed flashes a year ago. I, I like I, like I think Jonathan Mingo is going to be someone that is going to burst onto the scene this year. Um, you've got uh, Elijah Moore is obviously known and. He, he should be known for other things outside of making a fake pee in the Egg Bowl, but that's like what he's known for now. Um, but he is a very, very talented guy that I still think has a legitimate shot at making the NFL despite his small stature. But, yeah, Ely's the 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 dude on offense. So he's He's got the home run speed. He's he's charismatic. He He's funny on camera. He, he has everything. And um, – I and I'll kind of steer from your your kind of question there, Colin, and kind of throw you another one. A lot of people have you know brought up the question, you know, hey, is Lane Kiffer going to use him like he used Reggie Bush in that Southern Cal offense back in the day? And I think that's a great question. Do you do you anticipate him doing? I know you said they did a lot of process back then. I really don't think they're going to be doing any process in Oxford in 2020, but. I think they're going to utilize him in a similar way, don't you think? Yeah, I, I like I said, you know, with when it comes to good young coaches, you see a lot more of the younger coaches leaning on their best players, whereas a lot of the older coaches are like, "This is my system, and you're going to fit into it." Um, you know, they, they recognize this guy's talent, and I, I think they're going to put him in as many positions to succeed as they possibly can. I mean, he's. He's the, you know, the home run hitter, the key to this offense. Um, yeah, I, I think they're going to try to do all they can to put him, you know, in positions to win games for him. Um, I wouldn't say he's like a, I mean, he certainly could be uh, a dark horse, super long shot for the Heisman. But, uh, you know, we should be excited about it. You know, I, I think too often people get criticized for wanting to hype certain players, but I mean, this is the most exciting guy we have on offense. So, um, you know, we should just accept it for what it is and be excited about it and look forward to 2020. Yeah, so sw- switching gears just a little bit kind of from Ole Miss to, to what teams Ole Miss might beat this year, is there one uh, is there one SEC team that you've kind of watched and you think that maybe they're not going to be quite what everyone thinks they're going to be? I just feel like for me it's Texas A&M. Uh, you know, I, I know you're based out there in Texas, so so maybe you have a little bit more of an idea. I just, I mean, I'm going to need to see it from Texas A&M to believe it. I need to see them put it together before I can see that they're a, an 8-2 and two type team in the SEC this year. Is, is there a team that you think, maybe it's Florida, maybe it's Auburn, that Ole Miss could, could sneak up and grab this year? I, I think you hit it right on the head. I think A&M is that team. They're just, you know – inconsistent on offense they seem to disappear their rhythm just goes away sometimes you know and then sometimes they just blow up and they explode for 20 points in a quarter but it is you're right though kellen mond gets way too much hype in my opinion um yes just, feed me feed me we we, we have not seen this guy <laughs> like really show that he should be this highly hyped quarterback i, I don't know why everyone's elevated him so much in this in this tier of sec quarterbacks but um as for the rest of the sec like i haven't really followed too much of it this year um most of the film i've been doing is nfl 
So, you know, from what I could gather from what I saw last season, um, Texas A&M would be that team that I, I would say that we wouldn't be expected to beat, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. I mean, so you we should mentioned be, doing – go ahead. <laughs> we should have beaten them last year. Yeah, I was at the that's game. no doubt. Was it a scoop and score in the third quarter? Yep, from what, what, 97 yards or so when, when we well, – I mean, we fumbled it running into our own end zone. rose right there in front of me. And they went the whole other way. Yeah, I, I, I was at the 50-yard line with my buddy Brantley Hickman, and we, we were watching the game, and my wife asked for a beer. It was the first game of beer sales in Ole Miss history, so I'm glad I was there for that historic event. And uh, I went to get beers, and we scored a touchdown. It was pretty early in the game. I came back, and some of the guys in my section were like, hey, man, we scored while you were gone. Like, you, you need to go. And I was like, no, man, I just I came from Texas to watch this game. Like, and then sure enough, like I went to go get refills later in the game and we scored our only other touchdown. And then they were like, no joke. Like, how much do I have to pay you to get you to leave? <laughs> and I was like, well, I'd have to be at least as much as my ticket. So no, it wasn't enough. Apparently they, they should have done it. Well, you mentioned doing um NFL stuff, and, and you know, I'm sure you watch a lot of quarterback play. I, I look around the conference, you, you talk about Mond, and getting elevated to a different kind of tier. I think part of the reason he's being elevated to a different tier is because there's just no good quarterbacks in the SEC. I don't see an, a, an NFL quarterback as I look around the entire conference. Uh, what, what do you think? No, I agree with you. From an NFL perspective, there's really not a lot of good quarterback prospects in the SEC right now, honestly. Um you know, I, I can't even I can't even tell you right now who who the Alabama quarterback is, but I can just tell you he's probably a four or five star recruit and he's probably going to be OK. <laughs> so it's just there's there's not there's not any buzz this year um, for SEC quarterbacks. So, yeah, I, I think it is sort of just a lack of options as to why Mond is getting a lot of uh, a lot of hype. Oh, that, Zach, you may remember they've got Mac Jones. I know that, and but I don't. I would be surprised if Mac Jones was the starter in Week Ten. I, they've got the freshman. Uh, I, I don't recall his name. They've got the freshman. I think he was the number three it's, rated quarterback. It's Bryce Young, and he's yeah, gonna he's yeah. going to be really really good. I think Mac Jones is going to really shock people, and um, I think he's going to surprise some people and, and get drafted. I'm not going to say day one, but I think he'll be a good NFL draft pick. Um, I, he performed extremely well in that bowl game against Michigan last year. I, I was going to say, before I forget, Kellamond, which is, I don't know if this is just people wanting to hold on to a, a, a high school ranking and wanting to be right, but, you know, went to IMG. He was the number 21 overall prospect in the 2017 class. He was a five-star quarterback prospect. And I, I don't know. The dude could not be any more mediocre, any more boring when I watch him play. Like, he, he doesn't do anything great. Exactly. Everything is just, like, okay. And we talked about that game last year, Plumley fumbles it away. The year before, in College Station, I still say to this day, if, if Scotty Phillips – doesn't get hurt, I think Ole Miss grinds that game out because A&M could not stop 
Scotty Phillips, and he got hurt early on and almost still hung in there with Jordan Tiamu and still almost won that game on the road. And, yeah, Jimbo Fisher is just, honestly, to me, he's probably the most overrated coach in college football. Maybe that's yeah, he, a hot. Maybe that's a hot take. I, he kind of caught lightning in a bottle at Florida State with Jameis and that team and Kelvin Benjamin and all that talent, Jalen Ramsey and all that. But he's just been average at A and M. Yeah, that I, I I agree with you there. It's more of a benefit of the uh, insane riches of talent he had on that team. Derwin James too. I mean, you know that just so so many good players he recruited. Um, yeah, I'm just not, I'm not seeing it at A&M either. There's, there's not enough. They just haven't really shown me enough. I, I was at the Ole Miss game a few years ago. It was my first trip to Kyle Field. And I have to admit on the podcast, Kyle Field might actually be the best stadium in college football. Like it is, it's magnificent, like in every sense of the word. Um, the student section is insane. The fans are all very nice. I was wearing Ole Miss stuff. Not one person said a bad thing to me the whole day. I said, this is the best road experience I've ever had because I've been spit on at LSU. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's nice. I had, a, yeah. I had a piss balloon thrown at me back in 08. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've still, I still haven't been to Kyle Field. Nick, have you been there? I have. So I went when they were halfway through the re- renovation, but where I sat was on the renovated side. And that's the only side of the stadium I saw. So in my eyes, the whole stadium was renovated. Uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, it really is. It's a, it's a different level. Um, I mean, their fans are super weird. Let, let's, let's not gloss over that. Uh, they're <laughs> super nice, super strange. The students also super strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the stadiums is unbelievable. It, I mean, it really is. And the student section was, I think, and I think it will stand as the highest attended game in Texas A&M history because that was back when we were ranked number three. And they've since downgrade, downsized the stadium just a hair. So oh, I, so I think you it's were there in 2014? Yeah, yeah, oh, when we Cody Pruitt ran it back. Go to. Yeah, 108,000 out there, 106, 108,000. They'll never break right? it. Well, yeah, they, they downsized the stadium back to like uh, 101, uh. so they won't break it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it was a Shea Patterson comeback game. We were down 21-3 in the fourth quarter. <laughs> so improbable. But, yeah. again, like leaving the stadium, I was like, I'm, <laughs> I better not do much because I'm going to get pelted with things. And everyone was like, hey, great game. And I was like, yeah. cool. What? <laughs> speaking, speaking of five-star quarterbacks that are just okay at things. Uh, <laughs> man, we thought that was the, the start of something. Too. Man, I, I, who who could who could say we were wrong though? Oh, no doubt. I mean, I mean the guy he was, came out and looked like Johnny Football. Yeah, the guy was great. Um, all right, so last couple things here, Colin, before we let you go, and I know appreciate your time. It's it's a late night, and like I said, we had some technical difficulties, so we appreciate your patience and staying with us here. Um, oh yeah, I guess in your in your film studies and things that you've looked at in preparation for this season is there um at any level any any position is there a name that almost fans should be um you know either anticipating a breakout season or somebody that is going to flourish in the system is there anything that jumps out to you there 
Uh, I think Elijah Moore could be another solid weapon in the system. Um, you know, he's he's another one of those quick guys. Uh, they tend to flourish in in the new Kiffin type offenses. You know, the quick screens and you know uh, could be a good threat downfield. Um, you know, he he could be another valuable offensive weapon. I think. Uh, as far as any dark horses in the offense, uh, my guess is as best as yours, honestly. Um, who is that receiver, Britt, the incoming freshman? Yeah, Mark Britt. He's uh, he's turning heads in camp right now. Oh, that's that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's he's actually um, he's done. He's played both ways. He's shown a lot of things. The staff really likes what they see from him at receiver, but he's also been running with the ones on uh, defense at safety. So he's got a lot of natural ability. And from what I've been told, uh, essentially the quote was, he will play. Like, he will not redshirt. So, <laughs> yeah, he's you, – you can see why Dan Mullen in Florida really wanted him. Yeah. You know, he's – He's one, uh, I saw some film on him at a high school and, uh, he's one, you know, we should be, we should be looking out for as a guy in the next year or two that we're talking about as a special player. Yeah. Uh, Nick, anything else before we, uh, before we head out? Uh, no, I think, um, I think I've exhausted all of my, my areas of expertise. Okay. Uh, well, Colin, like I said, it's been fun, and thanks again for for hanging with us through the technical difficulties. But we'll uh, we'll have you back on to uh, talk some some real analytics when we get some 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 fresh numbers in the system, and we can really get an actual real life tangible look at what Kiffin and Levy are doing. But uh, we appreciate the time, man. This was fun. Oh yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, as soon as the first game is you know complete, assuming I get to be the one who works on it um i uh i should have a lot for you on it so i'm pretty excited well good deal uh well that's going to do it for podcast rebellion again thanks for hanging out with us uh through the technical difficulties folks uh colin really appreciate your time you can uh follow him on twitter colin uh holbert uh part of roto baller uh we'll we'll make sure to link his Twitter uh, on the website and uh, you can follow him and, and all of his writings there. But uh, for Nick, for Ben, for Colin, I'm Zach. We've been Podcast Rebellion. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe out there. We out. <laughs>